we ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, there's no such thing as a fish. Yeah, there's no such thing as a fish. No, seriously, it's in a, the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph, no such thing as a fish. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast, this time coming to you from the Turtle Comedy Book Festival in Camden, London. Uh, my name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Andy Murray, Anna Chazinski, and James Harkin. And this week, all of our facts are coming from the new QI book, 1,411 QI facts to knock you sideways. So here are the four facts that we entered into that book, and in no particular order, here they are. Fact number one, James. So my fact this week is... Viking names included Desirous of Beer, Squat Wiggle, Lust Hostage, Short Penis, Able to Fill a Bay with Fish by Magic, The Man Who Mixes His Drinks, and The Man Without Trousers. But so, okay, when you say that these are Viking names. Were they? Were they like? Were there more than two? Sometimes in a in a ship, was it like? Did you have to be like? Do we have a surname here? Because we've got two short penises on the boat. Right now. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that. They did. Uh, there's a great long list of them. These comes from names of people actually from the sagas, uh, from the Icelandic sagas and the Norwegian sagas. And these are the kind of nicknames rather than actual first names, I think. Did you find out anything about the specific, like a squat wiggle? Do we know what that is? What is it, it is some or who kind it is? Of what it is? Well, I can tell. I don't I know. I assume the person who was th- called it did it. Squat, squat right? and wiggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he Is that the thing yeah. you do on the dance floor where you like go down to the floor and then up again? That I do on the dance floor. Yeah. yeah. Or in the office sometimes yeah. we all find it a bit weird. I think it's what, like when a dog wipes its bum on the ground on the carpet. You know, it does uh, yeah. that. Yeah. Little squat wiggle. So you know how Native Americans name their children after the first thing they see after they give birth. Do they? Yeah, do you think Squat Wiggle's parents saw this dog doing the thing on the floor? And <laughs> Wait, what? Really? Yeah, that's the I've, idea. I have, no, I've always thought that was a myth as well. Yeah, that oh, can't I'm sure be. it's a myth. Oh. Wait, so someone gave birth next to a sitting bull and that's how yeah, they got that's their name. The like, oh, jumping badger. Yeah. Oh. Is that literally what it was? Well, that's the idea. I don't know if it's really I true. Think some, I think it depends what, um, what uh, kind of Native American you were, what tribe you were from. Some of them named their children, uh, I think the Miwok tribe named their kids after how the nearest stream looked when they gave birth. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Surely a limited or, number of, yeah. You yeah, you've got to be very imaginative with your adjectives. <laughs> yeah, wet, wet, Muddy. wet. <laughs> Is that where the band got the name yeah. from? <laughs> They were all in the Miwok tribe. Um, I like that. I hope that short penis and the man without trousers were friends with each other. I hope one named the other. Um, I found out a few more of them. Oh, yeah, I went, cool. Cool. They're all from um, the Landnamabok, which is a medieval work about uh, when the Norse went to Iceland and settled it. And so there's a load of. It's um, a bit like a doomsday book. There are loads of records of people and where they live and all of this. Uh, and a few more of them, same names, same source. Um, um, harm fart. <laughs> um, uh, arson victim. <laughs> that was a name. Arson victim. Um, a person in trouble or in disgrace. But I think that's inaccurately transcribed. And able to remain warm in winter. <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism for fat, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. 
able to remain warm in winter. One of my favourite ones is King Ragnar Harry Britches. We might have mentioned him on QI, actually. Yeah. A few people know him. Uh, he got his name because his wife made him hairy trousers from animal skins, and they were supposed to protect him in battle. Whoa. They were magic trousers. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, magic trousers. Did they work? Oh. Did they work? Well, well he's we dead. What are you think? <laughs> I like that. You know that situation when you're in a room and someone comes up to you who you blatantly know and you've forgotten their name? Oh, yeah. I'd love to see that scene in Viking times. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Short penis? No. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ugly? Yeah. No space? Dickhead? Dickhead. It's a dickhead. <laughs> you look like a dickhead. I'm sorry. It's just, you're right. <laughs> Maybe they were more catchy in Norse. Did you, yeah, they're maybe. quite long-winded, aren't they? Yeah, they That's yeah. actually a name of a person. If I'm quite like, long-winded. <laughs> long-winded. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I think I'm the, stuck on the dinner table with <laughs> long-winded. <laughs> Did you, the word gun is Norse. How weird what? is that? The, g- the gun? word oh, yeah. gun. Yeah. Uh-huh. And oh. it's because um, there's an inventory of weapons from the Tower of London, which was in 1330, and there was a, a ballista, a big sort of projectile device, which was called Lady Gunilda. So and Gunhilda meant war or battle. So that's where. So even though they weren't really around at the time, were they? Guns? No, no, no. Vikings. <laughs> yeah. Vikings. I just I, was, oh, yeah. I had a moment of crisis of confidence about when they. When did you say? Uh, 13th century? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're fine. You're safe. Oh, cool. safe ground. Something else invented by the Vikings, or from that area, this is one for you, Anna, sarcasm. Oh, thanks, James. Yeah, <laughs> yeah great. Don't be like that. Yeah. Um, really good The fact, word James. or the concept? No, the concept. According to Klans Gruber, the Danish ambassador, whose name also sounds made up, um, <laughs> he says that the Danish and the uh, British have a similar sense of humor with our sarcasm and the way that we make jokes, and so he reasons that it must have come over with the Vikings. Okay. Do you say Klans Gruber? No, Klaus Gruber. Oh, Klaus Gruber, sorry. I thought it sounded like Hans Gruber, the baddie in Die Hard. (laughs) (laughs) One one for the Die Hard fans. Does his name have a a good meaning in English, do we know? Like, makes up questionable theories? (laughs) (laughs) We get quite a lot of, a surprising number of words from from, uh, the Vikings, don't we? And they're all quite negative. Which might oh. be how yeah. like pillage and stuff like pillage and um, hell, I think, and weak oh. skull slaughter, anger, dirt, freckles. Muggy. Might be that I've gone through them and chosen the most negative ones. Purpose <laughs> <laughs> no. my point. Muggy. Muggy is that negative? I guess so. Uh, it's never yeah. a good thing, yeah. is it? No. Berserk. Come on, you've got to come good. outside. It's so muggy. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling too dry. So what about berserk? That's something to do with bears, is it? Or? Uh, so berserk, the berserkers were the uh, Viking warriors who were just insane, weren't they? And they, they think that um, either they worked themselves up into some kind of meditative trance because they were so, like, forced themselves to be so angry that they became vicious warriors or they were just on drugs. Anyway, they were called berserkers, which is where we get the word berserk. Hmm. Yeah. Um, th- there's one theory that actually Vikings weren't worse than anyone else but the only reason that we have only bad stories about them is because they attacked monks who were much more literate than them and so the monks were the people who were writing things down and they wouldn't write anything down. That's, really? a, re- that's really? a proper theory, yeah. Oh, that's great. The and modern that's- equivalent is like writing something rude about Mark Zuckerberg a few hundred years from now. <laughs> <laughs> Your name will be mud. <laughs> um. That's very cool. Uh, I so I mean, what I love about this, obviously, is we're talking about silly names. Um, and I had a fact to just tell you guys. I had a fact that I tried to use on a previous podcast, uh, which oh, got rejected God. in the office, uh, which was that forty percent of all penises are in America, uh, and it's the surname. 
It's the surname penises. You can go on our website and it tells you where they all are. 40% in America, Fiverr in Britain. Uh, and the most popular name? Shot. <laughs> <laughs> there must be there must be someone who's named Shorty Penis. Um, well, there was one guy called Penis, Penis, Penis. Which no, was bit, yeah. no, yeah. no. And actually, that was a, that was a popular name because it was in no, bold. It was, it no, was, it wasn't a popular name. That's a computer <laughs> error. That cannot be. No one. Was it hyphenated? It was. Uh, no, no. It was just pure. Like, yeah. Just penis. So you penis, think penis. two penises married, married each other? Yeah. <laughs> ah, Penis, Penis was also a very popular name next to Penis, Penis, Penis. Oh, so it's a double barrel surname, obviously. So yeah. this surely must be people filling in online forms with rude words. <laughs> surely must be. I don't know. The most popular is Bob Penis. So I don't know. <laughs> it's an actual name. They didn't let me do it on the show. No, nope. so. not going to get in this week either. <laughs> Did you guys, speaking of stupid names and kind of um, Vikings, that there's a Swedish couple who are being fined because they failed to register a legally approved name for their child, and they've presently called their child. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's Brufsk. One 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 six, and apparently, <laughs> apparently it's pronounced Albin, but it's a series of consonants. And um, so they were told that they weren't allowed to register that as a name for their child. And so they said they were willing to change the child's name to A, the letter A, which also wasn't accepted. Um, and so they've been fine. But yeah, their explanation was that the naming of their child. Uh, as such was a pregnant expressionistic development that we see as an artistic creation. <laughs> so that's, not, that's not really going to cut it when he's been bullied in school. <laughs> yeah. Did um, you see today, uh, there was an was article in the paper today, and I can't, so maybe someone here will remember it, uh, the number one hacker, internet hacker in the world, um, they managed to crack his code and get into all the places he's been hacking because his personal password was his cat's name with one, two, three at the oh. end. <laughs> I was just in the and news. The I worst thing was that. his cat was called Password. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wayne Rooney had his, um, his computer hacked and his password was Stella Artois. You're not helping yourself when you're him with the stereotypes, are you, doing that? Other beers are available. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Interesting naming traditions. So the Amazonian Amondawa tribe, when you say you get your name at birth, and then when your younger sibling is born, you have to give your name to that sibling and take on another name. And you have to constantly change change your name throughout your life. And that's the tribe that doesn't have a concept of time, so they're really interesting because they don't have any words for like day, week, month. And so the only way they uh, distinguish time is by like the stage of life that you're at. So you get a new name for whatever stage of life you're at. So if you graduate, you're called like a history degree. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many history degrees they're getting, but... Um. <laughs> Wait, do you have to change your name until your parents have their last child? Uh, do, do I understanding that right? So Yes, you do. As soon as one of the family changes the name, often the rest of the family also has to so change like the name. So Concertina. So even if you were yeah. 30 and your parents had another child... All right, that's not likely. Wait. Um, but possible. you could change your name sort of 10, 20 yeah. years later. I yeah. guess Short wow. Penis must have been really hoping that his parents had a good <laughs> child. Come on, guys. We're not going to do it, son. You inherited your father's traits. I'm not going there again. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite pop star name change. I've done a few in the podcast, uh, so I can't say it out loud now, but uh, uh, one I discovered recently, Michael Bolton. That's not his real name. Michael Bolton's what? real name is not Michael Bolton. What is it? It is Michael Bolton. <laughs> he lost an O from it, a single <laughs> O, and he lost it, and there's another singer called Michael Bolton, who's a country singer in America, who they keep asking him, like, obviously you're trying to make a career in music and you're called Michael Bolton. Why have you not changed your name? And his answer was, why should I change it? He's the one who sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Very strong principles. It's not going to work in the sales. Yeah. 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 He's a better name. I, I found a thing about Viking mice. What? I'm just. I'm, right. Well, bear with me. Um, no. But, <laughs> there are. There is such a thing as Viking mice. So all the mice in um, Scotland and Ireland and bits of Wales are Viking ones because they're directly descended from Norwegian house mice, and they came over with the Vikings, and they were much more effective than uh, the we- <laughs> the weedy Anglo-Saxon mice. <laughs> and so, and they know that's how they they think they know that. Um, the Vikings lived in Scotland and Ireland first in enough density to support house mice because the house mice only live somewhere where the, the, you get quite a dense concentration of people. So that's how they know that the Vikings were hardy enough to live there is because their mice went there with them and they lived there in enough numbers to support them. Wow. Viking mice is amazing. Yeah. Um, Vikings are quite cool. So they have a god of skiing. In fact, they have a god and a goddess of skiing. They have the god of skiing who is Ullr, uh, U-L-L-R, always pictured with skis and a bow and arrow. And then the... Oh yeah, good, proper skiing equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hey, are you going out on the slopes? Don't forget your bow and arrow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, goddess Skarde. Um, not they did, they weren't in a relationship or anything, but yeah, she was the same, always on skis, always bow and arrow, and she married um, a, uh, another god called Njord, and they split up because they had a bitter fight about the fact that he loved the coast and she loved the mountains and skiing. Oh. Um, so that's in Norse mytholo- mythology, and Skade is where the word Scandinavia comes from. Yeah, that's that's a name, cool. goddess of skiing. That's cool. Uh, so the Vikings had uh, quite a cool way of making fire, um, fire that could last a long time, where they col- they collected fungus called touchwood from um, trees, and then they would like bash it down, and then they lit it. Oh no, then they they boiled it in water for a few days, and then they lit it, and instead of catching fire properly, it just kind of um, what's it called? Kind of um, smouldered. And then it would last a few days, and it would be, you know, a useful That's fire great. that they could take on ships and stuff. Wow! Just act cool. as a nice. I was warm reading today beacon. that um, fire is a problem on Antarctica, apparently, because you wouldn't think it, would you? Cause no. It's, no, really? Because it's cold. Is that <laughs> what's melting at all? Well, no, because it's so dry and and like a lot of wind, which can blow the fire somewhere. So if you, yeah, it's one of the things I'm most worried about on Antarctica is fire. And they have a fire department. How does it? Start? There's a fire brigade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Antarctic fire department. Because they're a bit because the driest place in the world is in Antarctica, isn't it? It is. There it, are these Mc- valleys, Murdo, which dry yeah, valleys yeah. never get any. Haven't had any rain for two million years, and even then, it wasn't much. So. Bit muggy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we we need to move on, guys. Oh, do we oh, need to get really? Any last things you want to get in? Um, I just have one more thing about a different type of Vikings. Uh, it's a bit sad. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings. I'm an American football fan. And there was a Minnesota Vikings fan who vowed to let his beard grow until his team won the Super Bowl, and he died in 2013 with a 38-year-old beard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> so sad. Uh, we salute him. Yeah, what a That's dude. Amazing. Um, I, I found one last fact that I want to add, which is from uh, we're at the book festival. It's from our our new QI book. Uh, this is the fact, and it's to do just with with names. Johnny Cash's estate once refused permission for his hit Ring of Fire to be used in a commercial for hemorrhoid cream. <laughs> just wonderful. Good decision. Um, should we move on to fact? Sure. Number yeah, two? let's go. Okay, time for fact number two. Uh, that's my fact. Uh, and as we said at the top, uh, all of our facts come from this new book that we've done. There's 1,411 facts in this book. I, after much much work only managed to get one fact <laughs> into this book I wait till you hear it and this is my fact and it concerns the model Jordan uh, otherwise why, known as Katie Price why, why did you only get one in they were, they were all about Jordan all, all 900 Dan submitted were about Jordan <laughs> Uh, so my fact this week is You Only Live Once is Katie Price's fourth autobiography. <laughs> and that's on page 334. Oh, it should, be on, it should be on page three, shouldn't it, really? <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> is there any sign in it that she's aware of the irony of it? Like, is it a humorous, ironic comment on modern-day celebrity autobiographies that she's making? Of course there is. Yeah. It's Katie Price. Yeah. yeah. Have you read it? Uh, no, I. Uh, but neither has she. Read it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure she hasn't because she was promoting her new autobiography, her fifth autobiography, uh, and they asked her, well, "Where does it pick up from?" And she said, "It picks up from the amazing ending of my last book, which I think was about when I broke up." No, I stopped reading it there. I was like, "You cannot say where I think about your own life in a book." <laughs> Like, that's unacceptable. But yeah. that's, yeah, I just love it. You I don't get Hilary Mantel going, I think, was Cromwell, was he dead yet? Yeah. Is that when I first yeah. yeah. one? I'm not sure Whoa, what happened spoiler. to Winston Smith. Anyway, ask me about my other books. <laughs> um, Katie Price has written more books than Shakespeare wrote plays. Well, oh. Shakespeare didn't write any plays, really. Did and neither have you right. <laughs> Katie Price hasn't written any books. They should meet. They should meet. They would get along like a house on fire. No, but date. she's admitted no. it. She has admitted it. Yeah, she yeah, she yeah. had a quote when she was talking about her book. She said, I'm not going to lie. I don't sit there with a typewriter and write it. So this is someone who still thinks you write a book with a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to knock her, by the way. Like, I, we don't do that on this show. I don't want to knock her. Uh, but um, apparently it's full of good facts. They did. Speaking they did. Of, yeah, everyone's laughing because you said knocker. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this, is, this is another thing that she... Uh, so, Katie Price. I mean, there was an interesting thing. It actually has gone on, out on the latest QI book. Uh, sorry, no, it's on, it's on the latest QI episode about Katie Price, which is actually outsold all of the booker list, didn't she, at one point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so she sells massive... Which is insane. But all of them are ghostwritten. She's admitted that they're ghostwritten. And ghostwriting is just ginormous now. Ghostwriting is so big at the moment. This is insane. They've started outsourcing it to other countries. So they go to the Philippines wow. for ghostwriting now. Celebrity autobiographies get sent to the Philippines and they have people that just doing that. That just cannot be true. Are they good it? at yes. writing ghostwriting in the Philippines? Yeah, why not? Quite uh, a lot of people do admit to not reading their autobiographies, don't they? Ronald, I think Naomi Campbell did as well. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Well. Yeah. What did he say? Oh, he had a great Oh, it was like... Um, 
He said, I know that many of you are looking forward to reading this book, and so am so I. So am I. <laughs> cool. Oh, I hear it's very good. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Naomi yeah. Campbell, models, obviously don't like to like to read their own autobiographies. No. And um, Barry Manilow didn't write the song, I Write the Songs. Indeed. That's true. That's true. That's an actual fact. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the first ever autobiography was ghostwritten. Well, was it? Was was it? Was the first ever autobiography was... The Bible. Well, the first... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, Jesus think, is I don't think you meant to call God a ghost. It was, <laughs> it was Holy Ghost written. Holy Ghost written. <laughs> That's what the Holy Ghost was for. What purpose do you think it served? <laughs> Nobody knows. The other two are so obvious yeah. in their roles. He's from the Philippines. No one knows him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, the what, first what, autobiography yeah. in English was written by someone called Mar- Marjorie Kemp, um, and it was written in the 1400s, and she was an illiterate woman who wrote the whole thing in the third person, and I've, so she I've said it. it. Have you? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. What? Well, I did an English degree, and they make you read a lot of... What? Know, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's not very good. Oh, huh. it's really, it's really not. There's no, and there's no. I'm not here to knock Marjorie Kemp. We don't do that on this podcast. <laughs> it's she spends maybe three or four hundred pages crying and and weeping oh. and praying. How do you cry? And it's just, a... All the words are smudged yeah. on the page. <laughs> like, can't read it's, this. What's going yeah, it's very hard going. It's really weird though because she imagines herself uh, married to Jesus and and lying in bed there with him, and it's a very strange text in lots of different ways. Yeah, um, that's not funny. Wow. It's just it's just true. Was she? <laughs> she was from Lancashire. She wasn't she, I think. She was, was my she? neck of the woods, yeah. Oh, yeah. She? Okay. Was she like a wise woman or something? Yeah, she was, she was yeah. like a prophetess or yeah. Yeah. Who had a religious awakening. It's very interesting, but at the same time it's also quite boring. Mm. Um, <laughs> a surprising amount of people used to do ghostwriting, so Mozart used to do ghostwriting. Really? Yeah, yeah. He'd write he would be commissioned by other people, they'd put their names to it, Mozart would then provide the what? music for it. Yeah. Uh, Charles Dickens's very first book. Uh, it was a book that he ghost wrote for a clown called Grimaldi. Oh. Uh, yeah. Just um, going back to Mozart, when he first played in Europe, he was very young, like nine years old or something, and everyone thought he was a dwarf in disguise. That's <laughs> true. What? Really? It was, yeah, it was written that they thought he was. Because that was What you're going to say is, if you're going to disguise a dwarf, you don't make him the same height. You as make him taller. <laughs> Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, well, that's true. That is true. You can't. How do you make him tall? You can't stretch a person as part of a disguise. Stilts. Mm. <laughs> Although, put him, or put him put him far away on a hill so no one can tell. <laughs> with a, with a small piano, right? Um, no, Gary people... Grant started as a stilt walker. Gary Grant started as a dwarf. <laughs> she just stretched him on the rack for twenty wow. years. Someone who does stretch famous. his body is Superman. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yes. That's true. Yeah. Um, so as part of Superman's disguise, he puts on his glasses, but he can also make his um, spine two inches smaller, so he kind of goes smaller. So that's no, when, he, when, he, when he becomes Clark Kent. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, when yeah. He's yeah. Small, shorter as Clark Kent, so people, for extra realism, don't tell. I mean, you know. he's not real. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was going to be my fact next week. <laughs> Damn it. Um... I have a few good uh, so titles of autobiographies which I just really like. Um, Colonel Sanders wrote one called "Life as I Know It Has Been Finger Licking Good." <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy wrote one called "I Am Not Spock," and then a follow-up called "I Am Spock." <laughs> I've read them both. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. 
Really good. Highly recommend them. Book festival. Read them. Dan and I sit next to each other reading I Am Spock and Marjorie Kemp. And Judge Judy. Anyone know Judge Judy? American TV. Sort of weary ascent. Judge Judy wrote one called Don't Pee on My Leg and Tell Me It's Raining. Which is apparently an American idiom. It's sort of don't lie to me. Have you? Don't piss up my back and tell me it's raining. Oh, God. Yeah. Might be a Bolton thing. <laughs> In Bolton, it's, it's necessary to say that. <laughs> uh, uh, In 2010, go. a man was caught masturbating to Alan Sugar's autobiography. <laughs> In Crawley Library. The man was cautioned and banned from returning to the library. <laughs> <laughs> was wow. the book cleaned afterwards? <laughs> it was no more information. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, in anyway. 1979, Gerald Ford released his autobiography, and Betty Ford, his wife, was releasing um, hers at the same time. And his was called A Time to Heal, the autobiography of Gerald Ford, and hers was called The Times of My Life, which obviously sounds much more fun. And for his, so that year, for Gerald Ford's 64th birthday, Betty gave him a, a T-shirt that read, my, I bet my book will outsell yours. Which oh, is quite sweet. Wow. Yeah. And did it? And did it did. It did. Yeah, it? by a long way, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so good prediction. Yeah. And then next year the t shirt said, Told you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they divorced. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> um, Alec Baldwin wrote one which sold 12 copies in its first month. Oh. Which is amazing. And it has an amazingly bad title. It's called A Promise to Ourselves, colon, A Journey Through Fatherhood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the noise. Isn't I it make, true yeah. that the Bronte sisters, their first book of poetry, there were three of them wrote it and they only sold two copies. Yes. So they didn't even buy one each in the first in the, in the first year. In a, it took a year to sell two copies. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Well, they live together. You can share. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I like the fact that autobiographies used to be called apologia, didn't they? Mm. When so, oh, when really? you look back to antiquity, then it was always apologia, which was sort of apologising for what you'd done wrong, which seems like much more people should do rather than you it was, know. It was kind of false modesty. Yeah, it was. Saying, it was usually yeah. a justification of all, what all their critics had aimed at them and yeah. um, explaining that it was. Yeah, but Augustine as well, who a lot of people say is the first autobiography of kind of a non-classical age. Um, his was just called Confessions, and that was his explaining all the stuff he'd done wrong, and not even stuff that he remembered. So chapter one of Augustine's autobiography was him saying, when I was a child, I don't really remember it very well, but I know I will have committed loads of sins, and for that I'm really sorry. I feel terrible about it. Don't know what they were, but I'm sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> really, really bad. Sorry, guys. Wow. Oh my yeah, I know. John Henry Newman, who was an eminent Victorian, wrote one in 1864, which was called Apologia Pro Sua Vita, or Apology for His Life, which sounds very sarcastic. Like, <laughs> Sorry about my life, guys. <laughs> Adolescent. Um, um, we, should, we should move on. We're, should, okay. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going way over Anything here. Anything else, Andy? One um, more? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got a couple of interesting things, which I didn't know, which is, so there's a number of things that happening. Uh, you have ghostwriting, which is obviously just ghostwriting someone's autobiography. There's a term in the music world, which is called a hummer. And a hummer is someone who takes claim of having written a tune on a movie. So like back when Charlie Chaplin used to make his movies, he always said written, directed, music by... 
he would go around. So he'd walk up to a musician who he'd hired and go, mm-hmm, good luck. And then he would take claim for having written that song. And that's called a hummer. A hummer is take someone who takes claim for a song oh, wow. off a hum that they'd done to say. Hang on, because they hummed near somebody who wrote something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, they would hum a, an initial tune and say build on it, and then they would do it. Oh, and right. So it's okay. ghostwriting. It's, it's it's fake. And also, uh, I was really surprised by this. Um, there's script doctoring, which is done as well for Hollywood movies, and obviously that is done a lot of the time. But I didn't know these famous people were involved with it. So Tom Stoppard, we all know Tom Stoppard. Tom Stoppard was a ghostwriter in the in the movie sense, uh, so script doctor for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. What? For the Bourne Ultimatum, and for Star Wars Three: Re- Revenge of the Sith. Oh, isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing in the way that I don't believe it. No, it's true. Is it true? Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. true. And also wow. Carrie Fisher. Uh, speaking of Tom Stoppard and Star Wars, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia of Star Wars, uh, actually goes wrote most of Tom Stoppard's plays. <laughs> <laughs> Swap. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, she, yeah, she did. She did script doctoring for Sister Act, Lethal Weapon 3, Last Action Hero, The Wedding Singer, uh, and she wrote all of Tinkerbell's uh, dialogue in Hook. Oh. Well, Carrie Fisher's on the Christmas episode of QI this year, isn't she? Yeah. Well, if I'd have known that, I'd have got her to write the script instead of spending all that time. <laughs> <around>. <laughs> it's true. Um, okay, we should move on. Uh, okay, it's time for fact number three, and that is Jasinski. Yeah, my fact from the book. Uh, is that William Morton, father of anesthesia, first experimented on himself, but kept falling asleep before he could describe the results. (laughs) (laughs) Day nine. Very optimistic about it. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, yeah, he loved he loved experimenting on himself and various things. So this was in the 18, late 1830s, 1840s, and he was experimenting with ether. Um, and he also experimented on his wife's chicken. He cut off its crest uh, to see if it would be in pain, which she said that it wasn't. <laughs> you were uh, a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have you been doing this morning? I was just cutting bits off animals, seeing if it was painful. Well, how does he know as well? It's like, yeah, did that hurt? <laughs> no? Okay. I'll keep going. He spoke chicken. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's one wow, of his gifts. Uh, yeah, he experimented on a goldfish, on the pet dog, uh, on yeah, various pets, Gosh. on his students. Who <laughs> We're not still cutting things off, are we? We're still <laughs> yeah, just decapitated. Yeah. No. Um, and yeah, because people did, tended not to want to volunteer themselves. But eventually he had to get a volunteer because he did keep falling asleep. So once his wife walked into the room and found him unconscious on the floor um, and had to rouse him. And he'd been asleep for about 12 minutes. And he said he thought he probably would have died had she not interrupted. Wow. So um, his wife went through a lot. So his wife said he was obviously quite a strange character, loved um, these kind of grotesque experiments on himself and things around him. His wife said, uh, never shall I forget my sensation as a young bride at sleeping in a room where a tall, gaunt skeleton stood in a big box near the head of the bed, which I just like as the image of coming home on your wedding night and going, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> Is that going to stay? <laughs> just <laughs> human skeleton that he kept by his bed. Amazing. Yeah, deal breaker, I would wow. say, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, once you're already married, it's too yeah, late. Yeah, nothing you picky, can do. Picky, picky, picky. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, but yeah so it's, it says in the book Father of Anesthesia and he's quite controversial so if there are any like Horace Wells lovers out there I understand that Horace Wells was the guy who experimented with nitrous oxide which turned out to be more effective in a lot of ways as an anesthetic but he was unfortunate because it seemed to be working so he decided to do a public demonstration of how effective an anesthetic this was in 1845 and he slightly um, misjudged the amounts he had to give and the length of time he had to give it for and this public demonstration ended in like the screaming hysterical agonized fit of the person in question so everyone went home and said well this is rubbish isn't it that's not wow. <laughs> let's wow. not try this I did uh, not know that there was yeah. um, there's a lot of surgeons didn't really like anaesthetic at the start no I'm not sure if I said this before but there was a Russian surgeon called Nikolai Prigov and he didn't like using laughing gas because he was accustomed to the screams and reactions to pain of his patients and found it much more difficult to operate on an unresponsive body <laughs> Yeah, but apparently he wasn't alone. Like, a lot of surgeons like to know that if you prod this bit, someone screams yeah. and say, no, it's not the they right They said it guided right. the scalpel. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people... <laughs> oh, don't go there. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there was, a, there was a French surgeon called Magendi um, who thought it was ridiculous, all this experimenting with anaesthetics, because he said the pain was essentially irrelevant and um, it was barely worth noting the pain of actual surgery. And I've looked into him and he was never operated on. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but and then a lot of religious, uh, a lot of Christians thought that it was what God intended for us, and that it was kind of anti-Christian oh, to su- suffering and bearing children, exactly. and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Very controversial. Um, before they had, um, before uh, Morton got involved, and kind of before Wells got involved as well, they just had laughing gas shows, which just travelled the country uh, across America. Um, so the supposed professors would travel from town to town giving lectures, and then just put people under laughing gas and then people would laugh and then stagger about and then fall over <laughs> and talk rubbish and um, yeah and they just happened on the pavement and it was at one of these that Horace Wells noticed that someone had a painful accident and didn't flinch and so he thought oh well I'm going to go and try this I try this out on people uh. and the next day he had one of his own wisdom teeth taken out under the influence of nitrous oxide and that's what set him off on the whole yeah. wow it did, took a long time didn't it because when was um what's he called laughing nitrous oxide Humphrey, Humphrey Davy was uh, that was the 1790s wasn't it when he was dealing with laughing gas and it wasn't until the 1840s that yeah. so for ages they just laughed yeah. for 50 <laughs> years just going there must be a use to this <laughs> <laughs> at the moment <laughs> I read a really good so James has got us a subscription to the British newspaper archive which if anyone um, wants to I would highly recommend because it's so fun so I looked up I thought you were going to offer everyone your login details uh, yeah. <laughs> James Hagen at yeah no Um, It's his cat's name, one, two, three. Um, so there was a letter written to the Liverpool Mercury in 1824 and this was in the era when a lot of people were going to shows and having nitrous oxide tried on them and it was by someone who'd been to one of these shows and he tried nitrous oxide and he wrote a letter to the paper saying, describing it saying the sensations somewhat resembled those I've experienced when coming in for a share of superfine wine which wine it most resembles I cannot determine but if you or any of your friends are anxious to have the point settled you have only to send me a few specimens of superior champagne or burgundy and I'll let you know <laughs> what, a, what a guy yeah I'm, I'm really obsessed with people who do self-experimentation because oh, yeah. it's because it, it feels like it was a, a long gone era where they were doing it and and now you look at the news almost virtually every day and it just seems to be going on more and more people just going into their own world not asking for permission the guy um, Barry Marshall won oh, the yeah. Nobel Prize one of your countrymen yeah an Australian fellow Australian uh, won uh, uh, the Nobel Prize for trying to 
try to explain that you all know this better, so why don't you just say this? Uh, yeah, a lot of people know it, I guess. It's, um, so he won the Nobel Prize because he proved that uh, stomach ulcers were caused by a bacteria called Heliobacter pylori, I think it's called. And he found that out by testing himself, by giving himself this um, bacteria. He, and then he found, turned out that he did get these uh, stomach ulcers, and then he took some antibiotics, and it got rid of them. And it's not all stomach ulcers, but it's a lot of them. Yeah, but he effectively, he should have died off the back of what the medical community thought would happen to him. So he just went, screw it, I'm going to drink a Petri dish mm. of bacteria myself, and I'm going to do it to myself. I really admire that, but it has been going forever. And my favorite ever self-experiment story is uh, back from 2000 BC. It's from the Ming Dynasty, and it's a guy called uh, Wan Hu from China who decided to become the first ever astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> Announced it. He's like, going to be the first ever astronaut. Let's when was do that? This. In, when was it? It was Ming Dynasty. Good grief. Yeah. Uh, so he decided he was going to be the first ever astronaut. They he, didn't have rockets then, did they? they, what, they what they did have was um, fireworks. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so they had some rockets. So yeah. he sat on a chair and attached to the chair 40 sec- uh, 47 rockets. <laughs> he had 47 attendants candle ignite the 47 <laughs> rockets there was a massive explosion and neither one who or the chair were ever seen again <laughs> so and they he, might be in space uh, well, <laughs> it could have worked it could have worked and uh, everyone, I'm glad they did do that in the movie Up that would have been pretty good <laughs> A press announcement from Pixar. Sorry, we really cocked up this time. Um, try to send a character into space. He's dead. The chair's gone as well. Very sorry. Uh, no, he, it's, it's, no one really agrees that this definitely happened. It's definitely apocryphal. But, but at the same time, there is a crater on the moon named one who... I thought you were going to say him. created by his impact. Yeah. <laughs> There's a crater. And yeah, I've spoken to my friends. Wow. Uh, okay, some more self-experimenters. Uh, Herbert Woolard and Edwin Carmichael... Uh, did some experiments in 1933 and they wanted to know how it felt to put certain pressures on the human testes <laughs> and so they placed <laughs> they placed weights on the testes uh, and they explained what how it felt so I, I'll give you some of the things they said uh, 300 grams slight discomfort, discomfort in the right groin area 550 grams definite discomfort in testicular <laughs> region followed by a dull ache in the right lumbar region dorsally. Should we stop now? No, let's keep going. (laughs) I don't know. I'd like to stop. No, we're going on. (laughs) And then when they got up to 850 grams, uh, there's a quote of what he said, and he exclaims at once, that is quite different from the left side. (laughs) Wow. Good understatement. So speaking of crushing testicles, do you guys <laughs> do you guys know August Beer? Uh, no. Who? So he's someone who pioneered pioneered the cocaineization of the spinal cord in like 1898, which is where you oh, yeah. inject cocaine into your spinal fluids and right. it has an, a numbing effect, and it was quite successful. So he and his assistant August Hildebrandt decided to try it out. First of all, his assistant was um, supposed to try it out on him and use the wrong size syringe for the needle, which meant that he injected uh, August's spinal cord and his spinal fluid just spouted out all over the room because it didn't fit. The, and they were like, well, this is useless. And then he was drained of all his spinal fluid. So they couldn't try that again. So they switched places and the assistant agreed to have him <laughs> inject his spinal cord. I would not switch places with someone whose spinal fluid I'd just wasted. <laughs> <over the room. laughs> 
I would feel very bad about that. <laughs> So they did it, and it was quite successful. It was very successful. He lost all the feeling in his legs. And so to, to, to check that it worked, August kicked, stabbed, bludgeoned, and burned his shins, plucked out his pubic hairs, stubbed out cigars on his leg, and then crushed and tugged his testicles. Right. And yeah, that's what happens. This is for my spinal fluid, you bastard. But they said, so he felt nothing. So they thought this has been great. And they celebrated by getting really pissed and smoking loads of cigars. And they woke up the next day and apparently it was awful. And they felt like hell for five days. (laughs) Apparently that's a common side effect of loss of cerebrospinal fluid, I guess, combined with quite a bad hangover. (laughs) Guess we shouldn't have had that seventh line of cocaine into our spines last night. (laughs) It was the seventh that did it. Wow. Um, we, we need to move on. Oh, can yeah, I quickly Andy. tell you about yeah, one, um, another self-experimenter? This guy is unbelievable. In 1804, uh, he was an American student called Stubbins Firth. What a name. <laughs> and he wanted to show that yellow fever was not contagious. And so he did so by... Okay, brace yourselves. <laughs> inhaling the vapor of sufferers' simmering black vomit. Oh. He then he then injected the vomit into his own veins and into cuts on his arms, um, despite the fact that a dog he had injected had died within minutes. <laughs> he th- and then he smeared his body with patient's blood, sweat, and urine and drank patient's saliva, blood, and vomit. He didn't catch it um, because the samples came from late-stage patients who were no longer contagious. <laughs> All right, okay, uh, let's move on to our final fact. Time for a final fact, and that is Andrew Hunter-Murray. Okay, my fact is that um, Chessington World of Adventures banned animal onesies to stop the animals there getting confused. (laughs) (laughs) So, did they genuinely... Get confused? We're all confused by animal onesies, (laughs) aren't we? (laughs) So they weren't confused that it was another animal that was similar to it. It was just like, why are you wearing that? That's a poor fashion choice. I don't know why you've gone for that. Um, It was a temporary one to stop the... uh, They had a new giraffe and a new rhino, and they they hired bouncers. And if you went in in an animal onesie, apparently you were going to be given a a grey boiler suit to put over it. Um, So it was just temporary. Which would make you look more like a rhino. (laughs) (laughs) And a, and a big uh, pointy hat. <laughs> <laughs> Why? We don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Chief exec um, says. But new sci- there's an article in New Scientist about this. They asked an animal expert, and she said some colorations do give warning signs to other animals, and also that movement is the trigger. So big cats get interested uh, if someone limps past their enclosure because they look weak. And then she said, possibly the worst thing you could do is limp past the lion enclosure in a zebra print outfit. <laughs> <laughs> What about climbing into it? Uh, also bad. Also yeah. bad. Yeah, sorry. Second worst thing, limp past. Yeah. Um, s- since 2012, the company Kigu, who make onesies, have sold twice as many panda onesies as there are pandas. Oh. Sad fact, isn't it? Yeah. But 
it is easy. In both it ways, is easier to make a panda onesie, to be fair. So <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying you don't have to put two panda onesies together and then leave them for five years or however long <laughs> it's going to take. A panda onesie is more keen to shag each other, is that what you're saying? <laughs> than pandas. <laughs> Much easier. Well, they did. Have we talked about the zoo in China that tried to disguise uh, really crap animals as really great animals? <laughs> in, the, in the Henan province? I feel like we might have. So they tried to dress. They dressed up a Tibetan mastiff as an African lion. Um, rats posed as snakes. Dogs dressed up as leopards. Uh, and in an effort to save face, um, the zoo's animal department chief claimed the real lion had been temporarily sent to a breeding facility, although they didn't explain why there was a mastiff dressed up as a lion in the lion's enclosure. <laughs> they also said, by the way, we've got Mozart playing tonight. You should come and see him. He's really good. <laughs> <laughs> they do, but they do. Uh, it's a when you when you start to Google uh, zoos and people dressing up as animals, most of the articles that come down are from the idea that it's the zoo people who are dressing up. So there were pandas talking of pandas. Um, they had a they had a small baby panda that was born, and they wanted to put it into the wild. Uh, so all of the zookeepers dressed up as pandas. Oh, yeah. So they didn't think that there was human contact going on. So maybe it does actually confuse the animal. I don't know. It. We're Might not do, yeah. giving them much credit. Animals are very good at recognizing each other, aren't they? A lot of animals are. So what, I think we talked about wasps last week, that they can recognize each other's faces. Yeah. So if you put wasps in a maze and you show them a <laughs> photograph of one wasp's face that leads to something bad and one wasp's face that leads to something good, then they learn the wasp's face and learn to like go that direction rather than the bad wasp's face. Yeah. Which may, I don't know what happens when they meet those wasps in real life and have, <laughs> think, oh, you asshole, <laughs> you kept leading me down a bad way. Uh, but yeah, Sheep are really good at recognizing each other, mm -hmm. which is weird because they all famously look the same. Um, but <laughs> now you're being sheep racist. I am. A, I'm a sheepist. Uh, yeah, if you show sheep, uh, so I think they experimented on 50 sheep, and if you show them a picture of one sheep, like two, a couple of sheep faces, then they can always identify the one that's associated with something good, or 85% of the time I think they identify the one that's associated with something good. Um, so, yeah, I don't think animals are being confused by humans dressed in furry suits. Okay, all right. Well, then, in a different case, at a zoo in Tenerife, uh, they have a thing. They do this in zoos now where they dress up uh, certain members of the team as an animal and get them to try and escape the zoo. And the, and the costume bit... What? Yeah, yeah. The, costu the costume bit is just, just to add effect and fun for them to do. And but so, what, what's the... Sorry, well, what's in the case, purpose in case, it? Is it, it to test? It's to test if a gorilla escaped from an enclosure and it started running out, how they could have yeah. an emergency Yeah, exactly. Situation. They have an emergency routine if something escapes and they have to make sure that they know what they're doing so they Yeah, have. but a, a, a guy in a gorilla suit can't rip someone's arm off. That's the, <laughs> or do they add extra realism by ripping someone's arm? <laughs> yeah, they did. Well, what happened in this case is one of the zookeepers wasn't told this was happening. Oh, he saw the gorilla escaping and shot a tranquilizer dart into the person. <laughs> Genuinely, this was this was this year. They had to they had to bring them to hospital and bring them back too. That's amazing. So evidently, animals are better at noticing humans dressed up as animals than humans yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> In 2008, if you rang up Dublin Zoo, you would get an answerful message saying, if you are calling to speak to Mr. Rory Lyon, C. Lyon, G. Raff, or anyone similar, please be aware that you are victim of a hoax message. <laughs> Yeah, or, or perpetrating one. That's Let true. Me, yeah. That's exactly what I would do if I had thought of it. <laughs> um, 
So uh, I really like history of zoos as well. So when um, London Zoo was first opened, it was obviously much more wild westy than uh, modern zoos. So um, they just had they thought they would use zebras to pull people around in passenger carts and carriages and things. Um, you could play with the bears sometimes. <laughs> they just let you play with the bears, um, and they didn't have proper vets. You know, they they just. Um, and also, sorry. I, play with the bears. Yeah. That's never going to end well, is no. it? No. <laughs> and they died in their hundreds. Um, um, a female seal disappeared two weeks before the grand opening, and they only found it two days before the public first arrived. I don't know whether How that does a seal escape? <laughs> the, the, the sketchy on detail here. I don't know if it escaped the zoo or just was in the zoo, but not... But in the lion enclosure. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, f- the very first animal at London Zoo was a griffin vulture called Dr. Brooks, who was named after the anatomy teacher who had donated him, and his job used to be to eat the corpses when they were finished with, um, but then he, he had retired, so he didn't have a fresh supply of food. The corpses of the children who had been sent to play with the bears. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a different place. Okay. Dr. Brooks' anatomy school, he, uh, he would dissect bodies, and then afterwards he would, the vulture could have the rest. But after he retired, no more bodies, so he said, well, I have to find a home for the vulture. Wow. Yeah. Um, one in eight... British adults owns a onesie, don't they? That's in one of Do our they? back books. Yeah. So Dan owns, from, from us, Dan owns half of one. Yeah. <laughs> Is that does, true? Yeah, does show, anyone here have a onesie? Show of hands. Oh, that looks about right. Does wow. About, about one in eight. That's about ten. Yeah. yeah. Ten of a hundred people like here. I think that's like 30%. That yeah. wasn't ten. Wasn't that? Yeah, what, no, it was. It was like more. more. Yeah. Any, oh. any animal, animal ones? Which, oh. <laughs> Wait, someone, someone in the front row is wobbling his hand because he's not sure if it... Is Godzilla, Godzilla a... An, an a animal? a good question. Well, yeah. Yeah. He's not is a it, vegetable or yeah, a mineral, no. is he? <laughs> this is interesting. Uh, this they, is onesie it, hour on the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They, you know when you find yourself looking up really, really hopeful stuff for QI research, so today I found myself looking up at one point, animals dressed in human onesies in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, please tell I me that you found something. I didn't find anything. Oh. My God, if someone finds one, that would be good. There's a sloth onesie you get. If sloths get mange, then you have to shave them from head to toe, but um, they need to remain warm, and so they've designed sloth onesies. That oh, go actual onesies around. for sloths. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, not that's a sloth would be the worst human onesie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, with a well, sloth. Well, also the worst for if you're trying to show a sloth escaping a zoo, because <laughs> you could literally go home, come back the next day, and they've moved a meter. Like, that's not the animal escaping. Sloths have lots of beetles living in their fur, so yeah. the, the yeah. onesies would have to be thick enough for all these beetles to live yeah. in them, and moths and all sorts. Yeah. Up to you must be the worst onesie beetles. buyer. You're returning it to the store. I'm sorry, but this is not an accurate description of how it's like. Where are the beetles? What the hell's going on here? It's a fucking joke. I made several attempts to lure beetles into my onesie. <laughs> I found a few of them found it enticing prospects. <laughs> Churchill had a onesie. Winston Did he? Churchill. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> yes. He called it his siren suit because air raid sirens. He spent a lot of the war, Second World War, working underground in the cabinet war rooms, and um, he had a specially designed. I don't. I, pe- people have dressed this up, so they say he invented the onesie, which he did not. That's not fair because it, it's like an adapted boiler suit. But it was auctioned recently for thousands and thousands of pounds. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't an animal. It wasn't an animal. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> 
Churchill had a dog onesie. When, well, you, <laughs> when Churchill talks about his black dog, dog and onesie. people assume depression, it's just, just oh, my black dog's back again. <laughs> I'm imagining him in the dog onesie going, oh yes. <laughs> Okay, Chessington, Chessington World Chessington of Adventures. World of Adventures. Um, they, <laughs> they employ um, a lady who looks very nice called Lisa Britton, <laughs> and her job is a birds and the bees consultant. Hmm. And Good, because I have questions for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's she's there to help children or immature adults. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, to tell them what's happening when they're walking past and animals are having sex what, what, is she all over what, what, do they, is she, she walks around does she know when the animals are having sex and rush <laughs> so she, I see her with a bank of CCTV screens <laughs> wait the sea lions are at it I must go uh, wow. she says she's most in demand around three species um, the monkeys who have no shame and wave their <laughs> monkey hood around as part of their courtship the lions because it's a noisy affair and the tortoises because it's a very slow process (laughs) and they are not discreet at all (laughs) that's amazing I I printed out the page for the history of Chessington Zoo because they have a little timeline on their website and I just want to share three entries with you from three different years it's a very interesting site, it was a civil war place then it was an alehouse, lots of stuff anyway, 1991 Following the development in 1990, there weren't any new attractions for 1991. <laughs> 1992 was another year of little investment. <laughs> 1993, Fifth Dimension closed at the end of 1993. <laughs> oh, 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 my God. Days. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been. Is it fun? Is that a fun place? Well, yeah. Pretty great. 91 and 93. <laughs> it is fun. It's great fun. I read, I read, there's a theme park I discovered, Dollyland. Have you guys heard of Dollyland? <laughs> is, oh, yeah. is it Dolly Parton? Yeah. Uh, Dolly oh. Parton has a theme park, which I didn't know. Uh, quick guess. Dolly. Uh, oh, it's called, sorry, Dollywood, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Dollyland is a very different place. Dollyland. <laughs> and I am not allowed back there. Uh, <laughs> Dollywood, I'm so sorry. That's so awesome that you knew that. Um, Dollywood, uh, anyone want to have a guess of the opening hours of... Oh. <laughs> it's 10 till 7. And, uh, it genuinely is. Missed opportunity. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, hey, listen, we, we need to wrap up really soon. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Uh, do we have any more final facts we want to throw into this? I quite like, if we're talking about theme parks, I didn't know what the first ever roller coaster was or the uh, original roller coaster. So you're nodding. Are you thinking Russia? It was. Mm, I was thinking Blackpool. Oh. (laughs) No. Um, No, Russia, 1700s. um, They had the. 1700s? Yeah, 1700s. They had Russian ice slides. And it was this fad in Russia that went through all the 1700s. Catherine the Great loved them. She had loads of them installed on her own property. And what they were were they were the structures that were up to 100 feet tall. And they were what they sound like. So they were you climb up a ladder, 100 feet, and there's an ice slide, and you just slide all the way down it. And people would have them installed in the halls of their stately homes. So you'd go into a stately home, there's a huge ice slide in the middle. um, that's, that's great. so cool. Yeah, and then the French during the Napoleonic Wars saw these and thought that's really and tried them and said that's super fun. And then they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the predominant emotion in Moscow in 1812. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually well, a whale they burned the city and we're starving, but <laughs> <laughs> these ice slides. 
um, so the French brought them back and then built the world's first roller coaster and called oh. it Russian Mountain um, oh, in oh. yeah homage homage cool. good fact good fact alright that's it that's our facts thanks so much uh, for listening to that that was we went on way too long uh, but uh, yeah uh for those listening to this and not in the room, if anyone in the room wants to ask us anything afterwards, uh, we're going to be selling books downstairs. We're going to be hanging out downstairs, so join us. Uh, that'll be awesome. Uh, if anyone listening wants to ask us any questions about the things we've talked about, we're on Twitter. My hash... No, not my hashtag. I do have a hashtag, though. As well. I don't. That'd be the lamest thing. Hey, my hashtag is... That would be terrible. Hashtag my, Dollyland. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, my, uh, oh, yeah. It is a land. Yeah. My my uh, my Twitter name is at Schreiberland. James at Egg Shaped. Andy at Andrew Hunter M. Anna uh, podcast at qi dot com. Yes. Or you can get us all uh, together at at qi podcast. That's our Twitter handle for the whole of us. Uh, we're going to be back again next week with another batch of facts. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again. Good night. Goodbye. Good night. Good night.